Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 6, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. Our topic for today's episode is how to become a courageous listener. Uh, That's kind of a funny phrase. What does listening have to do with courage? Listening seems like a passive activity, but actually, especially in the kind of cultural climate that we're in right now, listening is a radical thing, because we're at a place now where it's very, very difficult just to listen to each other. So we're going to explore today how Jesus listened to others and what he's calling us to as his followers, as listeners. So, of course, um, my name is Rick. Um, I'm author of The Jesus-Centered Life, editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, involved in all the Jesus-Centered resources that uh, we we develop as a team to help you live this life. Um, We are, uh, as my old pastor used to say, fellow travelers. We are also living this life and learning what it means along the way, and we are developing things that will help all of us to live this life more in a more intentional way. And of course, uh, sitting across from me at the other microphone is the Becky Nader. Hello. So we're excited today to get into this whole topic of listening through the portal of a uh, interview that I did earlier today with an old friend of mine named Michael Warden, who is uh, a leadership coach and a team dynamics expert. I, I'll intro him a little bit more extensively in just a minute, but first, let's talk about this whole climate of uh, culture that we're in right now that makes listening really, really difficult. Well, right now on social media, I think that there's a there's a lot of chatter. I've heard a lot of people saying, um, around me that everybody is leaving Facebook. You know, this is actually like um, you, you see people posting now, hey, I'm not going to be on here anymore, or I'm switching to Instagram, or, you know, even amongst my friends, there's just this talk of like, I can't even be on there anymore. Last night, I was at home, and I love Facebook. I have been a part of the community for like two decades. And I was at that point, I was at that point myself. I just was like, I'm so frustrated. And I was just telling God, I'm done. I'm done. I think I'm going to be done with Facebook. I'm going to switch to Instagram and I'm not going to come on here anymore. And, um, as he often does, he, he likes to ask questions. So he asked me, he said, what do you think has changed? What do you think is different? Do you think that the, the friends that you're following on Facebook have changed? And I took a step back and had to really analyze that question, which usually happens whenever I'm talking to God, because what I realized is that actually they probably haven't changed. They probably have always felt the way that they, they feel. They probably have always had the same point of view that they have, that they're now sharing honestly and openly. And the real problem is actually that I preferred the, the lighter part of their life. I, I don't want to say fake, but I liked the pictures of the babies and the puppies and the, you know, pretending that everything is happy. And I didn't really like to, I, I guess I don't really like to listen to their hearts because it's maybe different than the way I think. Um, and I was really challenged by that because that didn't seem very authentic um, as a friendship. And I have since prayed about this and I, I feel like I can't leave Facebook. I feel like I have to stay in the conversation and I have to stay listening and understanding because these are my friends and this is what relationships do. Hmm. And it makes me, reminds me that um, last week um, I was, I work at home part of the week and I was in my house walking from one place to another and my daughter Lucy was 18, had a friend of hers over and they were talking about, and since since they're both 18, um, they, they voted for the very first time in this last election, and they voted differently, the two of them. 
So they're very close friends, but this is something that is perplexing to both of them, that the other has a completely different worldview when it comes to uh, maybe the political spectrum and what's best in um, their, their, their views of Trump and Hillary Clinton. And they were trying to have a real conversation about this, and there was some tension involved uh, because they were each kind of vigorously defending their point of view. And afterwards, when it was all over, I thought it was a really good conversation, the snippets that I heard. After, when it was all over, my daughter Lucy said, oh, I just don't want to have conversations like that anymore. It, it just is so awkward. It's so hard. And I said, but Lucy, um, we have to have these kinds of conversations. We have to find a way to listen to people. We can't let that be the fruit of this, that we that we stopped being able to listen. And then a couple days later, um, I'm at the health club taking the class, a class that I take there, and I saw another close friend who I only recently learned the same thing that Lucy was experiencing with her friend. I learned the same thing about this friend, that we were very different in our political perspectives about everything that's happening in the country right now. And so my wife and I were engaging her and talking to her, and she was very, very vigorous in some of her opinions. And I found myself listening to her thinking, ah, this is really hard to be in this conversation because I want to maintain my relationship with her, but I so disagree with some of the thought patterns and even some of the statements that she's saying to me feel offensive to me. So what do I do? And inside, I'm telling myself the same thing I told my daughter. It's important to hang in there and be part of this conversation and learn how to not just listen in a passive way, but find good ways to respond in this conversation that are respectful but are still challenging. So after that was over, you, you, when you have one of these kinds of conversations, you're like, wow, I'm exhausted, <laughs> because it takes something to hang in one of these conversations and not go all extreme or not shut down in some way. So uh, we don't really even have that option, actually, uh, if, if we're followers of Jesus. It's not an option that we simply shut down in the way we listen to people. In fact, uh, Becky and I were talking about this before we started recording today. It's amazing if you think about—so uh, you study Jesus through the filter now of, huh, I wonder what habit patterns Jesus has when it comes to listening to people. So you just read Jesus— with that filter on. So your antenna are up. How is he listening to people? And I think what you'll find if you if you read through even one of the Gospels with that filter on, you'll see what an engaged presence he is relative to listening to people. And he doesn't just listen to people, he responds out of his listening and takes a bold shot with them. But uh, I've mentioned to, to Becky before, he goes so far. Jesus is so committed to listening, that he goes so far as to listen to Satan in the wilderness when he's being tempted. He doesn't shut Satan down immediately. He listens to him, listens to his arguments, and then responds to his arguments. It's only in the end, when he has responded to his arguments on multiple occasions, that Jesus says, this conversation is now over. You could even point to the time when the Gerasene demoniac, who's just so possessed by a legion of demons that he's a scary person to everyone in that region, and Jesus encounters this guy and speaks directly to the demons inside this guy and says, tell me your name, and, and has, starts to have a conversation with him, and the demons recognize who he is, and so they start begging him, oh, don't crush us, don't destroy us, do anything, don't ju just don't kill us. And so Jesus goes, well, okay, I'm going to send you into those pigs then. And he sends them into the pigs, and the pigs run over the cliff, and this is why Jesus is run out of that territory, because he's just sacrificed somebody, somebody's livestock and made them suddenly poor, <laughs> because their pigs ran over the cliff. So that didn't sit well with the people in that region, so Jesus has to leave. But the point is that he actually engaged and listened to the demons inside this guy. So Jesus is committed to listening, but... Exploring how he listens is important for us. So that brings us to, to Michael Warden. 
who I go way back with, but I had lost touch with Michael. He went in a different direction. We used to work together. He went in a different direction. I kind of lost track of him. But in the last year, I've gotten reconnected with him. And during the intervening years, he has developed his own business, which is called Lead Strong, Live Free. And he's a leadership coach and a team dynamics expert, as I mentioned before. And I was talking with Michael a couple of weeks ago over coffee, and he mentioned something that just riveted me. He, he said in his work as a life coach and an expert on helping people um, or organize their teams uh, more efficiently, he's learned the three levels of listening that help guide and direct people into healthier relationships. And I said, what are the three levels of listening? So uh, what he told me was revelatory, and uh, we're going to play a portion of our interview where Mike uh, describes what the three levels of listening are. I guarantee you, after you listen to this, you won't think about your conversations the same way again. So let's listen. So Mike, maybe uh, you could start off by uh, describing exactly what you do. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not an occupation that uh, a lot of people know about, so maybe you can describe a little in specific what you do and how you help people. You bet. Yeah, so probably the best way to label what I do is, is a leadership development coach. <laughs> so I, I work with uh, primarily faith leaders and their teams around a host of developmental issues both connected to leadership and also to interpersonal relationships. So I'll go into an organization to work with a leader in terms of his or her capacity to um, effectively lead a team, uh, both in terms of productivity and in terms of positivity, like how, how much joy is present in the team is just as important a question as how much product are they producing. Um, so I'll work with, with a leader around that and then also with the team around all, a host of team-related issues that are really human issues, like how, how do I love this person who is continually uh, uh, rubbing me the wrong way? How do I communicate clearly, make requests clearly? Like just a whole host of things within that realm. Here's just a, a, a rabbit trail question. Why would a business leader resonate with the idea that the production of my team is important, but the joy of my team is, is, is equally important. Why would a business leader resonate with that? Is that a hard sell for you in any way? It's become a much easier sell, thankfully, because our research has gotten better. What, even in the most hardcore environments uh, in the business world, the, the, the research is telling us that when positivity is not high, they have major turnover in employees. They have low productivity as a result of low positivity. And uh, because of that, it costs the company more money. So, uh, you know, it's the age-old adage, you follow the money. And so <laughs> if it's starting to cost the company money, they're going to pay attention to it. Yeah, that's good. So we met not too long ago, and uh, one of the things that really fascinated me about what you do is that you have taken some natural gifting in how you're able to engage people, and you have set about to learn how to radically improve some of that natural gifting, especially in the, in the arena of how you listen to people and engage people. You described these three levels of listening that I had never heard of before, but they immediately set me off thinking about, A, how, how true these the, what you were saying to me was was, but also how reflective of my own experience with Jesus these things were. So maybe you could describe the focus you have on listening to a client, for instance, mm. and what progression you go through as you listen to them, and then make reference to these three levels that you were telling me about. Yeah, it is so powerful, this, this idea of the three levels of listening. I, for me personally, when I learned about this, it r radically transformed the way that I engage uh, other human beings from that moment on. And in fact, that might happen for many of your listeners as they hear this. Uh, 
So get ready. It's, <laughs> I'm it's ready. Amazing. So, I'm ready all over again. I know. <laughs> so, um, so this comes out of the uh, the training that I went through as a, a in my coach training uh, back in 2003 through an organization called the Coaches Training Institute. Um, it's based on a good deal of research related to, uh, again, interpersonal relationships, what works and what doesn't. And what, one of the things that was distilled out of that research was that there are these three levels of listening that are always present in every conversation we have. And if you can pay attention to which level you are kind of inhabiting at any given moment, you can greatly influence the level of transformational impact that the conversation is having. So let me describe the three levels and then, then maybe, maybe make some connections to, to Christ and to transformational impact. So the first level is level one is really the idea of listening to all the internal chatter that's happening inside your own head, inside yourself. So even now, as uh, you're listening to my voice, there's a host of other things going on inside your mind. You have, we're not just singular thought kinds of people. We have um, thoughts about, uh, hey, what am I going to do later today? What's my next appointment? Uh, Oh, my gosh, my foot is itching. Um, I'm feeling hungry. Did I get enough breakfast or lunch or whatever? Um, I wonder what we're doing tonight. Like all of that is also occurring whenever we're in a conversation, in addition to my personal reactions to whatever you're saying. Uh, So I might feel good or bad or edgy or whatever about something that you're sort of projecting back toward me, and that's also happening. So that's an entire universe of listening that's occurring in any conversation. And one of the things to notice about level one um, is that when you are talking to someone who uh, who is stuck in level one, like they're just kind of paying attention to their own responses, their experience of the conversation may be really high, but for you, it's likely not to be a terribly interesting experience. <laughs> now, <laughs> is it? You know, is, we all know what it's like to talk to someone who pretty much is just talking about themselves. And so, um, let me let me uh, interrupt you there for a second. Um, so, is it too strong to say that that's the the feeling of communicating with somebody who leans toward narcissism? so that the, their only reality is themselves, and therefore no conversation is really possible. Is that too strong to say that? Well, in its most extreme case, it would be narcissism. But the, the truth is that all levels of listening are important, and they all matter. Uh, it's not an unhealthy place to listen, unless it's, like you're pointing to, the exclusive territory that you live in. Like, if you never listen to anybody else, then that's narcissism, for mm. sure. Yeah. Great. Sorry for the interruption. No Please worries. continue. So level two, as you might guess, is uh, having a spotlight, a pristine spotlight of focus over there on the other person. So whoever you're talking with, that you, your full attention is being projected onto them. Now, on occasion, maybe, maybe most of us, hopefully most of us, have had the experience of being in the presence of someone who is giving you their full attention. Um, and it can actually have a sort of unnerving effect. If you, if you remember a moment like that, it's sort of like you feel like you're the only person on the planet, right? They're just giving you their full presence. Um, that is uh, level two listening, and it involves... Uh, really this very almost um, this almost pristine attention that you're giving not only to what people are saying but to their body language to their to their uh, uh, to what they're not saying to um, to anything that you're noticing sort of over there in that person or, or around him or her <clears throat> and one of the cool things about level two listening is that when people experience it what they re- what they report back is that to them it feels the same as being loved. Mm. And this is really fascinating to me because in my work, level two listening is just a, it's just a bread and butter part of the job. Like I'm, I'm engaging people, giving them my full focus, 
and in my own mind and heart, I may not be feeling particularly loving toward them in that moment. I'm just paying exquisite attention that they will report back that they feel very loved by that behavior. It's interesting the dichotomy built into that as well, that that somebody who is the recipient of full attention, like that full presence, it can be like water to a thirsty person, or it can feel extremely disruptive and uncomfortable. It can feel either way. Exactly. What, what, what dictates the way that that's received? Probably, most of the time, I would say it's, it's what's happening in the other person. Like, um, we, like, you know what it feels like if, some, if you're sitting in an audience and someone up on the stage suddenly calls you to the stage. There's, for most of us, there's a kind of lump that goes into our throat, and we feel this sudden sense of exposure. Mm. Um, that can be uh, both terrifying and very gratifying at the same time. And that can sometimes be how it feels for someone who's being completely seen. Also, if there's like issues of fear or shame or um, hurt that exist in people, when they know those things are seen, it's a very vulnerable experience. Yeah. You know, just on Tuesday night, we have a small group in our home that our listeners have heard me talk about before. Um, we have, you know, a little over a dozen kids that come every week. And we had a new person come who's kind of well-known in the school. He's, he's, a, uh, he's just an extraordinary guy. We, we don't think that he has much of a connection to church or you know, certainly isn't a follower of Jesus, and the group is all about Jesus. So when this guy was invited by somebody in the group, and he said, I think I'd be interested in that, it raised the anxiety level for my daughter <laughs> and for my wife, because it's like, oh no, we have a guy who might be really put off by talking about Jesus, and that's all we do. Mm. And so he came, um, we did, I did what I'd already planned to do, it was very... Uh, interactive, and some might call it invasive. <laughs> and so after it was all over, um, there was obviously, I didn't help the anxiety level. I actually created more anxiety for my daughter and my wife because of how it went. And we're, in, we're hanging around in the kitchen like we do afterwards, and, and we're engaging this guy and trying to learn more about him. He, in my view, seemed entirely comfortable with the whole proceeding. It was just the anxiety of what is he thinking that was happening in the room. And it turns out that this guy, who's a senior in high school, has 2,000 hours of community service as a search-and-rescue volunteer. And we started asking him questions about, wow, what is that like to be involved with? And, and he's been involved in several search-and-rescues where he found a deceased person, and he was talking about the trauma of this. And this is a senior in high school telling us this. So my wife begins to give him her full attention— in the way that you're describing, her full presence. And she is asking him follow-up questions about this and probing as he will allow, and he keeps allowing it. Well, meanwhile, the other kids are getting really uncomfortable, and one of them mumbles under his breath, this is an interrogation. And the guy himself is not indicating that, but the other kids are getting uncomfortable. When everybody leaves, my daughter says to my wife, Mom, you went after him way too much. He's so uncomfortable, he'll probably never come back. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He looked perfectly fine with this. In fact, he looked like this was water to a thirsty person. I, I just saw this dichotomy lived out right in front of me a couple nights ago, and how that kind of pursuit and presence can be either a gift or seen as a tremendous violation of some, of some sort. How do you know how to move in level two so that you're confident that what you're doing is helpful, not harmful? Mm. That is such a great question. Uh, you know, this is going to sound, um, I'm going to sound, it's going to sound vague at first, and I'm going to try to narrow it down, but there, there is a world of difference experientially between being pursued uh, with this level two kind of listening and being interrogated, hmm. right? So, and the, the really key difference between the two is that in the first case, I'm coming from a place of absolute love and no agenda. And if I'm in the second category, I'm coming with some kind of an opinion 
or some kind of an idea that I'm either trying to, to push or to herd you toward, yeah. um, or I'm trying to convince you of something. And when you're in that kind of space, that sense of being probed uh, feels very disconcerting in a bad way. But yeah, I love that. I love what you just did. The subtle difference between the two is really about your motivation. Yeah. And the person can pick up on your motivation. We, we sense that in the conversation. We can feel it a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you describe this level three then? Okay. Um, uh, so level three is listening to... I'll say it first, the space between us. So when you're in a conversation with someone, there isn't just what's happening in me and what's happening in you. There's also what's happening in the, in the environment around us and in the dynamic between us. And we've all had this experience where we're talking with someone, um, saying, how was your day? And then they will begin to tell you sort of the details of the day, uh, but you find yourself getting bored really quickly, and their voice is really flat, and there's a sense of just kind of lifelessness in it. Now, there's nothing that they're particularly saying um, uh, or signaling other than maybe their voice is a little flat that's telling you that there's something under the surface. But we know just kind of reading the vibe that there's something under the surface, you know, hmm. that they're feeling uh, not very excited about their day for one reason or another. So that's just a very uh, kind of a basic example we've all experienced. Um, or someone comes into the room uh, and they are clearly depressed and you, or angry, anything like that, like a lot of emotion. They can walk into a space and change the environment of the entire space without ever saying a word. And that's because they're kind of walking around with this cloud, that is level three. That's happening in the space kind of around them and between us and all of that sort of thing. And what's interesting about level three, a couple things are, one is most of the power for transformational work happens in level three. Um, so it's when you're listening to someone, you're giving them your full attention, it's the thing that's happening in the dynamic that is actually where most of the juice is, like most of the life is. It's out the there. It's it's out there in the ether, and it and then it's about how good are how good are you at understanding what's out there in the ether and responding to it. Exactly, exactly. So it might be like say you're talking to your spouse or to a good friend, and and they're relating to you something that happened at the store. Um, so it's a pretty minor topic, but as you're listening to them, what you pick up in the dynamic between you is that there feels like there's a lot of exhaustion or a lot of just weariness kind of in the space between you. Um, and so one of the most powerful things you can do in a moment like that is interrupt the person and say, gosh, it seems like you're really exhausted about something. What's going on? And just see what they say about it. Um, many times that will lead to an actual conversation that results in deep insight, in a connection to the heart, in a move toward God that is meaningful and transformative for them. And how does this particular level for you relate to directly your relationship with the Holy Spirit and being guided in these conversations in that way? Well, I'd say a couple of things about that, because it, it has transformed my relationship with God in a couple of ways. Um, one thing I'd say, going back to level two and combining it with level three, is that um, uh, one of the best ways that we can advance the kingdom in the world is by listening better. Um, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, but especially I think right now in the in the current sort of temperature of the nation and the sense of division that's happening around the world in many ways, as followers of Christ, our capacity to listen is actually a very powerful weapon for God to use to advance the kingdom in other people's lives. So I'd say that just one thing is that um, is that, that notion of level two listening uh, is a key, not just evangelistic idea, 
but even a more, more fundamental idea of advancing the cause of love, advancing the cause of peace, um, all the fruit of the Spirit in conversation. So in that sense, it's been very transformative for me to recognize my role as an ambassador of God in the world is a lo- has a lot more to do with listening than I used to believe. Wow. Um, when it comes to level three, however, you know, there's that, that, that classic thing that Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in, in together, there I am in the midst of them. Uh, to me, that directly maps onto this idea of level three. Um, the voice of God, the Spirit of God is present in every single conversation that you have every single day. Uh, and if, if we can get that through our heads, kind of just understand that this idea of God actively at work in the world is a perpetual 24-7 reality, then level three listening almost becomes a kind of spiritual discipline hmm. where I always have one ear turned toward heaven, toward level three, toward this ether between us, listening not just for kind of what's in the dynamic, but listening, too, for what is God up to right here? How is Jesus present, and what is he doing right now in this conversation? What is he wanting uh, to see happen, and how can I partner with him to see that occur in one way or another? And this kind of goes back to what happened with, uh, with your wife and that young man, is that uh, many times when you're in a conversation and you, and you notice what's happening in the level three, you notice kind of what Jesus wants to do, uh, the action that you'll want to take or the question you'll want to ask can be very disequilibrating for the person you're talking to. Um, this is where faith meets reality you know, for a lot of us. Uh, because when you read the Gospels, it was very common for Jesus in his interactions with people to knock them off balance, not to do it in any kind of harmful way, but in a way that wakes them up. And so when you ask these questions that raise the level of what you think is discomfort in the space, that may be the very thing in that moment that Jesus is actually wanting to do with the person in front of you. Uh, So one impact for me in my own relationship with God has been a t- uh, an increase in the level of uh, boldness in my conversations. The, the more I'm aware of what God is wanting to do, the more emboldened I feel in a conversation to be able to say something or ask a question that um, perhaps in popular culture would be considered uh, invasive or, or maybe just not what people normally talk about. So I just love what Michael just said. Uh, I, I'm uh, like 100%, 110% in agreement. And I told him uh, at, offline afterwards, I understand there is no 110%. <laughs> it's just an expression of kindredness about um, how much I love how he ended, ended that whole thing. Um, I just agree with him. And, and uh, so I'd like for Becky and I to talk a little bit about now how, how at times we've been the recipient of sort of a level three listener, and when we have been a level three listener, and what that looks like. So, um, Becky, you get to go first. Well, that was such a great and in, um, inspirational interview. I'm so glad we had Mike on the show. Right off the bat, you know, I have five sisters, <laughs> um, and I'm the oldest sister. So, um, and a couple of my sisters are actually dec- a decade younger than me. So, so we kind of sometimes have this like quasi parent sister relationship. So throughout the years, especially when they were in their like teens and 20s and I was in my 20s and 30s, there were times where it was really hard because they were seeking advice from their big sisters. But at the same time, they didn't really want my advice because, you know, (laughs) they knew everything. And (laughs) I I also have had this experience. I've mentioned this on the show. I surround myself with college age people. I like being around college age people. And they often I, they often contact me or come over to my house because they're looking for relationship advice or life advice or career advice. I can't I cannot tell you how many times I have just had to dance a little bit in this in, with the spirit to say I have to deliver a message. I'm not sure if they're going to want to hear it. 
but I'm going to, I'm going to be open to sharing it with him, but I want you to, to, to just show me how and how many times, um, what could have been a, a train wreck of a conversation of having to, to share some hard truths sometimes ended up being a beautiful conversation, um, a life changing conversation and also one that they really appreciated. Um, and I can't, I can't take any credit for that because I'm actually, I'm actually completely incapable of that. Um, and so I have to say that that third level listening and just being obedient to the spirit, I have seen work over and over again. Um, and I, I can't, and even just, I mean, there's times on this podcast when I, when I listen to what we have done here later after we've recorded, I've thought, I, I don't remember saying that. I don't, that was not me. So what's funny about that is, uh, um, if for those of you who listened to the, the episode where we interviewed Eugene Peterson, one of the things that he said about paraphrasing the message is that then he would go back and read the message, and he would ask himself legitimately, did I really write that? So what he's really saying is, in this commingling of our heart with the Spirit's heart, and we're dependent on Jesus in the midst of our conversations, in the midst of our work, in the case of Eugene Peterson, in the midst of writing, um, this partnership we have with him produces things we didn't know we knew. And it's a remarkable feeling. It's also an underscoring that this isn't—we're not just playing around here. This is not rhetorical. The Spirit of Jesus is real. Jesus' narrative about what's—his ha- narrative of the world and the world's problem and how he came to fix it and what our reality now, all of that is real. And the Spirit's reality in our life means that we are in the moment guided by him, and we're producing—you could say it this way, too—we're producing art together. And that means sometimes he paints a stroke that comes through our hand that we didn't know was in there. So I love what Michael was talking about, where this level three place where you're very conscious of the other— you're, you're dialed in, you're present, and we, we said in a previous podcast, that's Jesus's standard for relationship, is full presence. So if, if you're doing something that, that mitigates against your full presence, then we're under obedience to figure out how to get, get rid of that obstacle, because what he wants is full presence. So if you're in fully present to the person and present to Jesus in the moment, that in the mix of those two things, you're listening, but you're also getting guidance as you listen, and then you feel nudged to take a bold step. And my story is, you know, the one that popped into my head, uh, this just happened last week. I was the recipient of a level three listener. So I went to go meet with a, a close friend of mine. I've, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, Tom Melton, who's was my pastor for many years and, and one of my closest friends. And I have so much respect for Tom. And I, I was meeting with him for coffee he asked me about something that was going on in my life that I'm not going to go into the specifics of, of what it is. It's not that important for what I'm going to tell you about. But it was something I was struggling with, and the heart of the struggle was that I'd had multiple people in a short amount of time reflect back to me something about not just how I was coming off, but they were giving me guidance and direction about what they thought I should do. And in each circumstance— my response to them was something like, I don't think you understand um, really where I'm at, because you're giving me guidance that that um, really seems to miss the mark of what I'm trying to say about where I'm at right now. So I was telling all of this to Tom, and he was asking, well, who has said what to you? And I re- told him, and this person said this, and this person said this. And in the middle of that, he very gently but firmly looked across the table at me and said, pause a minute. Look, Rick, the reason that all of these people are responding to you the way they are is because you are subtly putting the message out that this is what you are communicating to them, and you don't want to own that, but you are definitely communicating this to them. So they're picking up on that, and they're saying, oh, if that's where you're at, then this is what I think you should do. And the problem here isn't the feedback you're getting— The problem is you have not yet owned your emotional reality. You have not owned your own emotions around this. They're coming, they're spilling out, and the people around you are reacting to them, but you are denying that they're true. So this was a, you know, it was 
level three listening. It was a brick wall. He was saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. This issue is about you. And, and what he said was, you haven't had the courage to own your emotions yet. Now, that's a bold statement. So later I was telling my wife about this conversation, and I said, what I loved about that is that I was totally relaxed as Tom was telling me this, even though it was a hard thing, because it came in this atmosphere of acute attention to my story and to me. And then it came not as a diatribe, but a simple brick wall and a simple act of boldness that was dead on. So the first thing I said to Tom was, thank you so much, because what you just said is exactly the diagnostic that I needed. I needed somebody to really listen to me and then throw a rock into my pond that I wasn't expecting. And it changed the whole uh, pattern of my thoughts and what I was thinking about this reality and how I was reacting to the people around me. It changed things. It transformed me because of this kind of listening. Now, that's a treasure. If you have people in your life that are offering you that, I mean, you can't pay enough money for that, um, because he spoke prophetically into my life and changed my direction. So Rick does this to me all the time, actually. Ah. We're just going to have to call him out. He actually did this to me yesterday. And again, I'm not going to go into the specifics, but we were having a conversation, and I was expressing some frustration about something, and and he he said back to me, Becky, everything that you're saying is exactly true, and it and you're right. However, you're not considering the the person who is going to be receiving this information and how they need to hear it. <laughs> and he talked to me a lot about this word shrewd, um, which <laughs> happens to be open and in front of him right now, and. It, it, I went home and I thought about it and I was like, I need to apply this to like every area of my life right now. <laughs> I need to apply it to my husband. I need to apply it to my work life. Um, but it, it, the same, what he was just saying, it was the same exact experience, even though he was telling me a hard truth that I needed to hear, that I needed to apply. There was nothing about it that felt hard. Um, it felt easy and peaceful. And when whenever the Holy Spirit or God is nudging me, that's the the way I know it's him and not some sort of outside motive or um, some outside thing that I really don't need to take into my life is that it's always very gentle and easy. When we use this and we are um, helping other people, they should feel that way too. It it shouldn't feel hard. that's, That's what was so profound about one of the last things Michael said which when I asked him, how do you know the difference between when this has good fruit behind it and when it's more like an interrogation, (laughs) like I mentioned before? And I thought his answer was spot on, that um, really the key here is a motivation. If somebody has an agenda as they're pursuing you in this way, then that's violating in a way. But if they don't have an agenda other than to love you, then that's the real difference, and you can sense that in the person's approach. So that there's two surprises here. A, that's the first time I, I knew that this is how Becky reacted to what I said yesterday. So that's encouraging to know that that's the place it went to. But that is, you know, if you're going to study the pathology of how this works, think about that. That's like a domino effect. When somebody says this to you, and you resonate with it, in the end, the receiver of this gets to be the one that decides whether this was for them or not. That's part of the boundaries that we set around this kind of engagement, that the person you're talking to, the way that this becomes powerful is when they receive it, when they receive it as true, and they know it's true, and then the domino effect kicks in. It did with me when I talked with Tom. It led to a whole domino fall of decisions and different perspectives and a greater sense of relaxedness because I knew what he had said was true, and once I admitted the reality of my emotions, I I was not having the dissonance inside that I had before. And you just described the same thing, and the other surprise is that it's funny that our Jesus-centered Bible, which is flipped open here just randomly, is flipped open to the parable of the shrewd manager. I actually wrote a whole book called Shrewd that is just on this one parable because Jesus felt it was so important that we become more shrewd in the way we relate with others, 
that he told a parable and said, uh, you guys need to get better at this. So I wrote a whole book of uh, exploring what it means to be, an, in a Jesus way, shrewd. So it's funny that the Bible's just flipped open to that. But let's, let's close today by talking a little bit about uh, times when Jesus upended people. So we've talked about this in our own experience of life, but um, this was like a daily occurrence for Jesus in his responses that upended people. And in fact, all of my favorite stories about Jesus are of him surprising and upending people with they his are responses. More fun. They are. And why are they more fun? Because what we see in these stories of Jesus upending people is transformation. And we have a deep hunger and longing for transformation. So you could say the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus responds to, to these connivers around him in such surprising ways that what, what he does is he forces them to think about their own culpability relative to sin. And if they're going to throw a stone at her, why aren't they throwing a stone at themselves? He changes the game. That comes from understanding the climate that he's in and then taking a bold shot into that climate. And then he accentuates it with his own PS when all of the people are gone and only the woman caught in adultery is there. He says to her, woman, where are your accusers? They're, they're all gone. Well, I don't accuse you either then. But let me throw a rock into your pond. Go and sin no more. So he changes the game for the woman. She's rescued from a certain death sentence. She thinks she's about to die in a brutal way. And here is her rescuer who brilliantly saves her life, but then at the end says this little thing that, that she walks away from that conversation going, I love that man because he just saved my life. And the rock he threw in my pond is go and sin no more. So uh, just in that one story, you see how Jesus listens well, is fully present, and then he takes a bold shot. What what story pops into your head of Jesus upending somebody or something? I actually, as you were telling that story, a friend of ours, um, Jamie Amarine, who we just interviewed on our other podcast called They Say Podcast, she's doing this 28-day series where she's going to be completely and brutally honest um, every day she's going to write about how she really feels about her body image. And today's <laughs> blog post was called um, Prostitute to Princess. And right. she wrote, why is it that when um, the king comes and saves the prostitute um, off of the streets and brings her into the castle and makes her a princess that, that she keeps sneaking out the back door to further prostitute herself. And she's talking about it, this in the context of diet. I love Jamie because she is a fellow Jesus lover. She is, she is one of us, but she also just has these word pictures <laughs> that are just, um, no one else I, I've ever read can, t can take these word pictures and really bring you into it. So as you were saying that, I thought to myself, um, of that story. Her, her blog is called Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, if you want to check it out. Hmm, that's a great name. You know, it makes me think, as even as you're saying that, uh, one of these stories where Jesus uh, upended someone was when he was with a bunch of very uh, respectable religious leaders in that respectable religious leader's home, and a woman of ill repute comes into the home and anoints his feet and washes his feet with her hair and anoints his feet with perfume. And Meanwhile, the host, I think, is, if I'm recalling this, I'm not open to this part of Scripture right now, but his name is Simon. Simon is there, sitting there, thinking inside, uh, does Jesus know who this woman is? I mean, what is he doing? How could he allow this woman to do this? He doesn't say anything, but Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, are you thinking this right now? So this is an example of Jesus being level two, fully present to Simon. What is going on in—and this is— then he graduates to level three, which is, what's happening in here? What, what is Simon's presence communicating to me? Oh, it's communicating judgment, and does Jesus know what he's doing? And then Jesus speaks directly into that situation. He says, you know, Simon, I came into your home, and nobody washed my feet. Nobody did even the basic level of, of invitation that you normally would do to an honored guest, and yet she's come in and she hasn't stopped serving me yet. What does that tell you? <laughs> so he throws a rock into Simon's pond and gets him to think in, in a way that he hadn't been. It's that kind of thing, and we all say, 
well, that's Jesus for you. I mean, he, you know, of course, Jesus could do that. Well, here's the deal. He specifically has said, we are now his body. We are the body of Christ. He expects us to move as his body in the world, and he's given us the gift of his Spirit to help guide us in this from the inside out. He wants us to risk. This is the reason for the parable of the talents. Two men risked what they were given, one didn't. Jesus praised those who risked, he condemned the one who didn't. He's trying to say to us, I want you to risk with whatever I give you. And in the context of our conversations, he wants us to risk whatever he's giving us as far as insight in that conversation, and then trust that the person hearing it either receives it or says, you know what, that is, I don't really think that's for me. That's the risk level. If you throw it out there, what if it isn't for them? What if you make a mistake? That's the place where we come to rest and say, okay, uh, just because we sometimes make a mistake doesn't mean we don't risk. So Jesus is calling us to risk in these conversations, and he's calling us to pay better attention to him and to the person we're in front of to do it. Okay, any last words, Becky, before we uh, close it out today? I think uh, one thing is there's a lot of information out on the internet, and you can we'll put a link to this, but just you know the practical uh, idea of what does it look like to pay full attention, and you know they say that there's you know there's talking and there's listening and then there's body language, and um, I I was looking at just a list of different ways that we communicate, the way we talk, our posture, appearance, head movement, and I I was thinking how would it look like if I took each one of these things. Um, and I applied it to completely paying attention to Jesus. So how am I paying attention to him in my posture? How am I paying attention to him with my time and with my energy? So we'll put a link, um, and maybe you could make that a little challenge for yourself um, to go through that list and think through how you're um, paying attention to other people and how you're how you're paying attention to him through all of these different ways. Fantastic idea. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, as Becky and I both mentioned, you can find out more information about everything we talked about here today and a link if you want to find out more about Michael Warden's organization and his coaching. There's a link there to him, so you can contact him if you want to through that. Uh, but you can find all that uh, in greater detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com. Uh, page, and you can find our podcast section. You're just going to click on Season 2, Episode 6. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, and it's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts. We'll talk next time. Bye!